Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. We are here joining you on an off day from spring training. But uh, last uh, yesterday was a, a, a very on day, some pretty exciting developments, which we will, of course, talk about. Uh, ben Humphrey, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mr. Godar. As always, it is good to talk to you, uh, and especially after an exciting day of St. Louis Cardinals news. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we often start the podcast off talking about uh, what have we learned, but uh, I think we all learned the same, uh, <laughs> the same thing over the last uh, 24 hours or so, which is that uh, Albert Pujols is uh, once again a St. Louis Cardinal. So that was uh, kind of, uh, gosh, I guess it would have been Sunday night. It was kind of leak, starting to leak out. And by the time we or Sunday afternoon, and by the time we woke up uh, Monday morning, uh, there it was. Uh, he signed a one-year deal for $2.5 million and, uh, yeah, appeared down there in Jupiter with the team today. So, Ben, what are your feelings about Albert being back with the team? Um, I wish that I could get a standing ovation after I show up late for my first day of work. <laughs> um, but in, in all reality, uh, I, I greatly enjoyed that. It had a little bit of uh, professional wrestling showmanship to it. You know, like right. the team's you know playing, like, you know, there are other wrestlers in the ring, there's something going on. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, my God, that's Albert Pujols' music. Yeah, you heard the glass shattering and then yes. the bullpen door opened up. And uh... <laughs> and and so I, I really did enjoy that. Um I thought it was uh, all in all a pretty interesting, uh, almost zero to 100. Um, Katie Wu at The Athletic broke the story uh, yesterday evening that the Cardinals were in conversations with him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my first thought was this article is an article where, like, it's all but done. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, a hundred percent. I had the same reaction because even in her first article, she went into here's how it would work. He would be a pinch hitter. He would be a mentor. I mean, it was the, the, the terms were so finalized in that article. I, I had the same because usually when I see something like that, I'm like, oh, you're just getting my hopes up. But as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, I I think she actually used. Uh, the wording, and I don't have it open in front of me, and I apologize for that, but it was something along the lines of John Mosellock would only sign Pujols if <laughs> and yeah. it was the list of conditions, and I was like, oh, is this the way that you source John Mosellock on background? <laughs> like, yeah. or, you know, there was no according to sources, if I remember correctly. It was just like John Mosellock would only sign Albert Pujols. Well, um, I, I, well, there, some I think it was in her article too. It did it, it, no named sources, but it did reference multiple sources. And okay, it, it definitely had the sound of you know people from his camp, people from the Cardinals have all kind of you know confirmed that this is where it's going. So, um, but yeah, and now now here we are. So, um, well, yeah, how, how you feel about it? Go ahead. Oh, uh, you know, we had this discussion last year. This has been simmering, you know, in the Cardinals sphere of baseball fandom, uh, you know, for about 
what, seven, eight months now since the yeah. Angels first cut ties with him. And it it is very much a heart versus head dynamic to an extent where, you know, I want Yepes to get the job and thrive. I want Gorman to, uh, you know, get plate appearances as a designated hitter and thrive. And I've been pretty interested to see how the Cardinals have, have framed this because I feel like the way that we all looked at it last year versus this year is a lot different. And I think a big part of that is they now have the designated hitter. There is also the roster cap on the number of pitchers a team can carry. And so in effect, the collective bargaining agreement has given the Cardinals a position player roster spot to play with. And they have chosen to play with Albert Pujols. And the more I've thought this over, the the more enthusiastic I am about it, uh, even from a baseball sense. Um, yeah. You know. Well, oh, no. I, I, I was just going to jump in and say I, I'm right there with you. And. I was always in favor of this from just a, you know, emotional, wouldn't it be amazing to see sense. But um, yeah, I've really kind of, um, you know, come pretty full, full, uh, fully in favor of it from a baseball sense as well. And, and you know, one of the things that I've thought of, and this just t- to your point about the, you know, the extra roster spot last season, if, if folks recall when the Cardinals broke camp, their bench included, John Nagowski, Austin Dean, and Matt Carpenter. So they broke camp last year with basically, you know, three designated hitter type, you know, guys on the bench. And, um, you know, it's it's clear from the reporting, it was clear from the press conference today that Pujols is not coming here to even for even really with the expectation of the kind of platoon situation he had in LA. I mean, he's he's legitimately coming to be a last guy on the bench, pinch hitter, um, you know, who knows, depending on how some guys play. Yeah, maybe he'll see a little bit of that sort of platoon type work. But when you think about it that way, it, uh, you know, you, you're t- the last guy on the bench is never very good, <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, last year it was, you know, it was Nagowski for a while. Dean was there for most of the year. It was frankly Matt Carpenter. So you're talking about Albert Pools in that kind of a, a scenario. And when you look at the his even diminished, of course, from his all time great status, but you look at what he puts up and what he put up last year, especially when the Dodgers smartly only deployed him against left handers, he's much better than those guys that the Cardinals have had at the at the end of their bench. And he's also going to get enough uh, time to hit, you know, like Austin Dean Nagowski. You know, they they were at a point in their careers where they had to produce uh, in a limited amount of time. And Albert Pujols has been signed. You know, John Mosellock framed this on the MLB Network radio earlier today, where it's, you know, it's good for baseball because it's a farewell tour uh, for Yachty, for Pujols, and for Wainwright. And I thought it was pretty funny because Pujols had not announced this was his last year. Wainwright had not announced it was his, <laughs> this was his last year. Then Pujols announced, yes, this is my last year during the press conference later. Uh, Wainwright said, well, it might be. 
<laughs> so uh, I don't know if Wainwright's quite ready, uh, even though he's on the cover of the Cardinals calendar. You know, the Cardinals are doing all this merchandise uh, based on it. Um, but I don't know if it's if it's the end. Um, and one of the interesting things also about that uh, that farewell tour story is the fact that, as you said, uh, this is really being framed as he's going to be, uh, you know, kind of a mentor for some of these younger players, and he's going to be a right-handed bat that we're going to use against matchups. And in, in the press conference, I thought that Pujols might kind of push back against that. And even some of the contract details, like he gets a bonus if he wins the MVP. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's some of that Pujols insanity coming through, you know. <laughs> Um, and I thought that might come through in the press conference as well. Like, you know, if, if, uh, someone after the Washington wizards signed Michael Jordan, you know, with the idea he was going to mentor older players, it would have probably taken like 90 seconds in the press conference for Jordan to be like, I'm the best player in the NBA. I will be starting every game and, and playing 36 minutes or whatever. Right. Well, um, Albert, Albert Pujols is insane as all great players are, but even among great players, no one is as insane as Jordan. So well, that's, except, that's except very maybe, fair. Except maybe Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady is probably in the conversation. But, but, but Brady is insane in a different way. Like he has oh, his oh. quack health stuff. Um, and, and we don't want to get too far off topic on that. But, uh, I thought it was very interesting how Pujols time and again reiterated, you know, and he mentioned Cardinals like Renteria and Polanco and mm-hmm. Edmonds and how they helped mentor him. And he views it as part of his uh, place in the game right now to do the same for young players. And the way that Pujols talked at the press conference, to me, it was very much within the framework uh, that uh, Katie Wu reported in the athletic from the day before. And, you know, that complimentary nature made me feel a lot better about the signing. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you and I talked about Pujols and as you said, we took back when he was cut from the angels last year. And then, um, in, I think our last episode when it was kind of first, you know, floated out there that, well, maybe the Cardinals were a team that were talking to him about this year. And, uh, and and I think I talked about it with uh, Dana Chopta and Mimi Amusial as well. And, and I mean, my take on it was always that um, I thought it would be great if he would come back in an extremely limited role like this. I just thought that was not real likely. Um, I thought he was going to want more playing time than that. And I just anticipated that, you know, some franchise that was really going nowhere, uh, you know, would offer him that. And I thought he would, you know, he would take that. So uh, obviously he kind of sat, sat out there on the market for a while after that last conversation we had, especially given the speed with which other free agents have been snatched up in the past few weeks. So, um, you know, I, I, I wonder if he, he was looking for that and thought he might find that, but not finding that, you know, if his only option is going to be to kind of sit at the end of a bench, uh, you know, why not do that in St. Louis? And, and I'm glad that worked out. And so for me, you know, I'm glad he's back. And the, the people who have concerns about like him taking playing time away from, you know, Yepes or some of these younger players, I'm not I'm not concerned about that. Number one, because I don't see that uh, just from all the way everyone's talking. I don't think that's the intention for the role they're going to put him in. But, but secondly, 
as I think I've said several times on the show, a, a big problem for the Cardinals is they just don't have enough depth. They tend to not build depth. And and this actually is a, a, a piece of depth, you know. I mean, this is, you know, you've got a veteran option there. You still have those younger players as well. I mean, you know, consider that just last year, this same player, Albert Pujols, was signed by, you know, literally the best franchise in baseball to serve in a limited role. So, you know, basically, you know, the Cardinals are, are following a move that the Dodgers, you know, did and did very successfully. So I just don't think you can feel, you know, that this is a, a bad move given all those factors. And, and I agree. And if you hear Dave Roberts, uh, you know, spoke on it, um, I think Justin Turner did as well. And they were very complimentary to Pujols and the way that he worked with the younger players during his time in LA. He took the mentorship role very seriously, yeah. uh, it sounds like. And they really yeah. liked having him on the team and they really uh, thought he brought a lot to the table in that role. Yeah. And when I say it's it's not a bad move, I think specifically what I'm talking about is I've seen a lot of people suggest that this is a non-competitive move, you know, or that this is just essentially a catering to the fans, but they're not really going after it. And and uh, I mean, I just I don't think that's true. And, and frankly, that mentality, too, it's like a it's like a high school football mentality. You know, I imagine these people wearing their like, you know, ratty burn the boats T-shirt while they're saying that. And, you know, that attitude that I can only enjoy, uh, you know, baseball when it's just, you know, at, at its most absolutely competitive and anything that's not a championship is a disappointment. I, I just find to be a really miserable way to approach the game. I mean, everybody's welcome to do how they like. So if that's if that's how they want to do it, I suppose, go nuts. But um, you know, I just, it's hard for me to imagine, um, you know, the joy that this is going to bring seeing Albert back, seeing he and Adam Wainwright and Yachty, you know, kind of one final time. I mean, if you're a Cardinals fan, you know, we only get one run through this life. Like how can you not enjoy that? That's an experience that you're going to get to have. Oh, totally. Um, you know, I've, as a former high school athlete, that mindset, uh, is very tiresome, uh, especially when it comes to to the magical nature of baseball. And, yes. and and just so everyone knows, Ben is wearing a T-shirt right now that says "Hitting is our business, and business is good." I I am actually wearing a 2004 National League Champions shirt, uh-huh. and our listeners should know that I own about six of these shirts, much to my wife's chagrin. Uh, I, I am looking right now at, uh, three 2004 baseball cards, uh, one of Scott Rowland, one of Jim Edmonds and one of Albert Pujols straight across from me here at the desk. Uh, the reason being that's the greatest team that I've ever seen. It's the most enjoyment I've had from watching baseball over a full season, in my life and that team lost the world series in spectacular fashion and if we're going to apply you know winning isn't everything it's the only thing yeah. you know kind of bs uh high school jock mentality it completely discounts that yes. and you know the 2004 st louis cardinals are the best team uh, anyone who saw them ever saw Right. And, you know, like, and if you're going to have that mentality, you're discounting the 2004 St. Louis Cardinals, the 1987 St. Louis Cardinals too. My, my 
my coming of age, you know, the first year I could stay up and watch the World Series. And, you know, I, I just think it's ridiculous. And there's so much more nuance and so much more to enjoy about the game than just that, especially now with the expanded postseason. Yeah. Well, I even think about last year's team. I mean, that that winning streak was amazing. And that's something that, you know, I'll remember forever. And I'll remember that team and that for that winning streak more than I remember the wasn't it 2015 that they won? Gosh, what was it like 90, 90 some games, 90 upper 90s? Uh, That team won a ton of games, but, you know, was not that great a team overall. Yeah. Yes. Um, And. And so we get to enjoy this wonderful season where, you know, Albert Pujols is going to make outs because baseball is a game of failure. And I'm excited for people on Twitter to complain about it. Yeah, right. But uh, the thing that I I really enjoy uh, about this signing is uh, there's a good chance that Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina – uh, go into the baseball hall of fame at the same time. Oh yeah. And Rookie, and that is after, yeah. After the, the farewell tour with the Cardinals. And, you know, when I was writing at Viva El Burdos, um, I, I was, I was at home on my couch, uh, when the news broke that Pujol signed with the angels. And uh, this was when Dan Moore ran the site. And uh, Dan, for some reason, basically, you know, I could write whatever I want whenever I wanted and, mm-hmm. and post it to the website. And uh, and I wrote uh, the post, uh, Albert Pujols and the St. Louis Cardinals, what will never be. Oh, I remember that. And it was about all of these milestones and things that Pujols uh, would accomplish, uh, without wearing, uh, well, he accomplished the lion's share of the counting stat numbers before he left the Cardinals, but he would reach these milestones wearing a Jersey other than the birds on the bat. And it, it was very, uh, it was a very sad post to write. Um, and it was, it was through the prism because my introduction to St. Louis Cardinals was a vinyl LP my grandpa had of radio calls of like Cardinal milestones. And Mm -hmm. so like Stan Musial, like I knew who Stan Musial was and I knew that Stan Musial had 3000 hits because of this LP and, Mm -hmm. you know, various other accomplishments from the Cardinals. And, um, and so losing that, uh, it really did feel like, and, and Pools was free to choose where to go play. I don't begrudge him that at all. Um, but the losing that as a fan, you, you did lose something. And we aren't going to get all that back. He's probably not going to hit seven home runs. He might catch A-Rod maybe, but probably not. And so, but what we are getting is we're getting, you know, I guess the next best thing is, you know, he, he, he had the great quote where it was like, I never really left St. Louis. My foundation's still here. And the fans gave him the wonderful, uh, welcome back home greeting that St. Louis fans are, are famous for. And so, uh, as a baseball fan getting to, 
uh, live through this with the possibility that we will see Albert Pujols take a a meaningful plate appearance or two or five or however many in the postseason uh, is is really wonderful because even if region, reason and logic uh, counsel us to the contrary, if he steps to the plate in October, I mean, you know, you're you're more Benny the Sharp than me. I I don't gamble at all, Ben. But I would never if if he is batting for the Cardinals in October. I anything is possible in my mind. Like that's that's true. Although I I do keep my uh, my gambling and my heart completely separate, and that's why <laughs> that's why I, I have made money as as a gambler. But <laughs> well, you, so I won't you, be putting money on it. But in my heart, I will believe it can happen. Um, it's funny. Uh, I, I was talking with my youngest son did uh, just a few days ago, actually, before this all broke, and he asked me who my favorite Cardinal was of all time, and I had to go with Albert Pujols. And you know, he's not from my youth, and I certainly those you know Whitey Ball teams were like the the earliest teams for me, and then you know Ray Langford. Um, I, I enjoyed his whole career kind of as I was a you know a kid as well. So, um, but I tell you, there was never a player who. A Cardinals player who approached that feeling I had watching Michael Jordan, you know, where yeah. at, the, at the end of every playoff game, even if the Bulls were down, you're like, Jordan's going to win this game. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I, Pujols for years, you know, it was like, if they can just roll the lineup over and get him one more at bat, he's going to win this game. And God, it felt like more often than not, he did it. Uh, two stories of mine to that point. Um, I, I was at Bush Stadium for an April game against the Cubs. It was like the Alfonso Soriano Cubs. And the Cubs walked the batter in front of Pujols to load the bases. And my memory tells me it was a, a three-run Cubs lead, but it might have been uh, less. But you know how your mind plays yeah. games on you. Yeah. Well, make it as dramatic as, as you want. Uh, We're not well, but my, my favorite thing was the Bush Stadium – folks played the jaws theme music when he came up and everyone in that stadium knew he was going to hit a home run yeah. everyone yeah. and and i knew he was going to hit a home run and he hit a home run yeah. <laughs> and put the cardinals ahead and it was just like i it's it's just a feeling you don't have very often uh when you're watching baseball because it's a game of failure you know the yeah. odds are yeah. uh he is not gonna even get a hit uh, let alone hit a home run. Uh, my my other, perhaps my favorite Pujol story was uh, one of my good friends got married in the Chicago area uh, in 2011, and you know the wedding was Saturday and Saturday night, and the Cardinals were playing the Cubs at Wrigley that weekend. And so I woke up at the hotel. I read Joe Strauss. He had an article on STL Today one of his patented kind of troll job articles about how May 2011 would be the worst of Pujols' career if it ended today. Well, he wrote this before May ended. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I read this article and I'm like, well, May isn't over yet, Strauss. And I drove down to Wrigley Field, I park, or, you know, down to Wrigleyville, parked, walked up to Wrigley Field, and I was like, you know, I want a ticket. And they're like, well, where do you want a ticket? And I was like, I don't know. What's 
what's the best one you got? And they're like, well, we have this one. It was like 10 rows behind the Cardinals dugout. And it was like 90 bucks at the time, which blew my mind. And I was like, I will take that. (laughs) And, uh, and Pujols hit three home runs that day. And May of that year was not the worst month of his career (laughs) because I, and you will never convince me otherwise that he did not read that article and become furious like Michael Jordan, you know, it's, yeah, it's or from Tom Brady. No, he's right up yeah. there with him. He has that same insanity complex. When you see him talk about where he was drafted, he's still, it's just, it's like, you know, in he's enraged at the, it's you know, raw. The, it's still it, raw it's, for it's him. Super raw. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. but the other thing I've, I've seen a lot of folks, it, and I kind of wanted to talk about this, and we've touched on this before. I, I think that a lot of us, uh, number one, we're still approaching the roster like a 25-man roster in our mind. We're still approaching the roster where you could have more than 13 pitchers uh, mm-hmm. in, in our minds. Yeah. And so we talked about that a little bit. They had a roster spot to play with. But also the DH in the National League, we had a taste of it in 2020, but that was not – the teams were the, – the National League teams had the DH kind of thrust on them. They weren't really able to plan for it, right? Right. And, and I think a lot of us still think, you know, uh, of the DH like Edgar Martinez or David Ortiz – uh, when in reality nowadays the DH, multiple players uh, get plate appearances at the DH. Most teams who don't employ Nelson Cruz or JD Martinez don't have a a designated hitter, a guy who is that position. And so, yeah, actually, Ben, it's funny you say that. I I actually looked this up recently. If I can just interject, because. Mm-hmm. I was curious because that had always, that was kind of my perception. So um, it, if you search and see uh, guys who had 600 plate appearances as a, as a DH, which, you know, 600 plate appearances is kind of a, you know, a cutoff for like, you know, you played every day all season, you know, and you weren't hurt more or less, you know, you, you had, you had basically a full season. There uh, has not been uh, a player to do it since 2017. That was the last time it happened. But you had someone, you had two people do it in 2017, two in 2016, two in 2015. You had some in 2014, 2013, two in 2013. I mean, you, it, you, you, when you go back and you look, uh, and even if you look farther than that, it was pretty common that you had these, you had these guys, and obviously you have Nelson Cruz and David Ortiz, but then you go back further and you've got, you know, Vic, Victor Martinez and uh, Jim Tomei and, you know, Edgar Martinez, right? Those those guys are gone, and they have not been replaced by other guys in that role for exactly the reason that you said. So anyway, I just I'd happen to look that up just because I kind of wanted to test my perception, and it's it's absolutely true. Yeah, and the other thing is that, and and we're all aware of this. Starters are facing a lesser share of batters than ever before, so relievers are facing more. And so when you look at the the Dickerson signing, I saw a lot of hand-wringing, what does this mean for Lars Newtbar? And my reaction to that was, well, Lars Newtbar's defense puts him over Dickerson. It doesn't mean much to him because, you know, he's still going to get plate appearances. He's still going to get to spell right-handed hitting outfielders in the outfield. Yeah. 
and he's still going to be able to be used as a late inning pinch hitter. And that's something we've talked about how Schilt and Matheny like to have their guys where it's yeah. you're the second baseman. Yep. You're on notice, Tommy Edmund, by the way. I don't know how much longer you're the second baseman. <laughs> um, but, you know, each of these guys, and maybe Mike yeah. Schilt would have wanted a, a designated, designated hitter. But but what you're seeing is the Cardinals are layering depth to protect against an overall lack of production, to be sure, yeah. whether it's Yepes or Newtbar or Gorman or whomever. Um, but they're also layering depth for each individual game so that they can play matchups in the late innings and they aren't going to be, you know, just kind of at the mercy of the late game uh, relievers, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to bring in your righty with a wipeout slider, okay, you know, here's uh, Newt Bar or Dickerson yeah. or uh, or Gorman. If you, you know, depending on what the roster looks like on a on a, any given day, you yeah. want to bring in your tough lefty. Well, here's Albert Pujols. Absolutely. You know? And, and that's and that's exactly what I was getting at earlier about the idea of, you know, hopefully the Cardinals finally building some depth there. Because, first off, that was a huge disadvantage of this team last year. There was nothing on that bench. You know, there was no no nobody worth bringing up to hit off of that bench. But, and again, I, I always go back to the Dodgers. You know, the, the Dodgers have just continued to load that team up, you know, and they can still – they'll find at-bats for uh, Chris Taylor – and a Kiki Hernandez, you know, and, you know, you think about even just last season, right? They've got Corey Seager as a shortstop. They've got uh, Max Muncy still, you know, kind of spending some of his time at second base. They've got Gavin Lux, a real kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, young prospect in their organization also at second base. And who do they go out and acquire? Freaking Trey Turner, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they, 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 they plug, they find a way to plug Trey Turner into center field and they bring Albert Pujols into um, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there were probably Dodgers fans that are like, "Oh, what about what about Gavin Lux?" And you know, we're uh, you know we're, we're stunting his development and stuff. And that, granted, you need to give young players opportunities. You don't want to be Mike Matheny and you know just railroad somebody. But but having that depth and having those options is a very good thing. And and I'm with you um, now. Granted. Uh, no one's going to confuse Corey Dickerson or 2022 Albert Pujols for Trey Turner at this point in his career. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, the Dodgers are, are working in a higher, higher uh, tax bracket than we are. But, uh, you know, but there, but there's similarities there, um, I think, for sure. Yes. And I also feel like we're seeing the front office really imposing its vision for what the roster can be in a way that maybe they haven't. Um, and it became kind of a, a common talking point uh, amongst the writers at Viva Albertos uh, during the Mathena Gene era, how the front office would try to build the roster uh, around uh, Matheny's many shortcomings and uh, biases. And, you know, I think Schilt had some of those same tendencies, you know, uh, probably because he adhered to the Bible of, of Kissel, which was outdated. And now you're seeing Marmol and you're hearing Marmol say a lot of the things that we've kind of seen Mosaloc indicate that he wants to do. And I think one of those is this type of depth 
and this ability to shuffle the lineup and and also the pitchers is the other side of this coin in the late innings to really play matchups on a game-to-game basis to give the team a better chance to win when you get down into the to the real nitty-gritty of the metrics and who does what against whom and what type of pitchers. And I think it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited. I'll be honest, I'm really excited about the offense on this team. Um, I think I think they're gonna they're gonna be quite good. Um, now let, let's maybe touch real briefly on the starting pitching, um, which uh, I'm uh, I'm a little less uh, less enthusiastic about. Um, but I guess I do want to push back against. I, I've seen one thing I've seen kind of just on Twitter, you know, Cardinals Twitter as well. And obviously, there's a lot of frustration that they don't have uh, more starting pitching, more starting pitching depth, um, you know, that they maybe didn't go after some higher end acquisitions. And and I get all that. And and honestly, I think those are completely justified um, beliefs. Um, But I do think this front office has a philosophy for how they're going to build pitching. It's a it's a money saving philosophy. But, um, you know, I think they they tested it out last year and they, they liked how it performed. And so they're going to, you know, give it a shot again. But, you know, regardless of, of those issues, you know, it, it's not a zero sum thing. And so I don't see, you know, acquiring Corey Dickerson and acquiring acquiring Albert Pujols as in any way, you know, well, since they did that, they couldn't do or they didn't make some kind of, of uh, you know, starting pitching acquisition. I think they're just completely different philosophies within the front office. Yeah, I, to me, it's one of those things, and you and I talked about this, right? It, it was, you know, we said it uh, jokingly, you know, they could have gotten Dr. Pepper, but they got Dr. Thunder and Matt's. Right. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Pepper was Stroman. And you and I talked about the reason that you go get Stroman is one, you can afford it. Bill DeWitt and Cardinals ownership can afford Marcus Stroman. They could. They chose not to. Right. You know, that was their choice. Now, part of the reason they didn't get him is the front office chose to be aggressive and go get a starting pitcher sooner rather than later because Bill DeWitt and the owners were going to force a lockout on everyone. And they wanted to make sure they got the a pitcher who fit the profile that they were looking for more or less before DeWitt and the other owners forced a lockout on the players and the fans and put a freeze on all transactions during the offseason. And Stroman uh, signed later on a deal that, frankly, the Cardinals should have signed him for. And now we're seeing uh, that the Cardinals are going to suffer for that choice. Uh, because they're not going to have a pitcher with that, you know, maybe number one ace upside like a Stroman. They have Mats, who's probably more like a number four, maybe could flash number two, but his, his ceiling's probably number three. And so how are they going to fill that in? And I think that's going to be really interesting to see because you heard Marmal talk about, oh, I would like to break camp with a dedicated fifth starter. And then the front office, which Mosaloc had indicated, you know, we need to be thinking about piggybacking these other things. And I think there might have been a little bit of a disconnect there where Mosaloc knew about the discussions regarding the size of the roster in April. And maybe Marmol was not as well versed in that. And then once it became a fact that we're going to have 28 
players on the roster in April, then Marmol was suddenly like, yeah, we're going to see what we can do here to make up for that fifth starter spot. And so I'm very interested to see if they go kind of the Mike Matheny, Mike Schilt route, where this is our fifth starter and he's our fifth starter, or if they're going to do something a little bit more creative because of the higher number of pitchers they can have on the staff in April. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my heart sunk a little when I saw that Ollie Marmol quote about, you know, wanting to have a fifth starter. But, you know, then as I unpack that, I mean, the reality is at any given moment, you are in the midst of typically a a five-man rotation, right? It's just that you want to think more flexibly about it and, you know, you're not locked into those same five guys until, you know, injury knocks somebody out. Right. So, I mean, I, I, we've talked a lot and I mean, I, I, I talk about having, uh, you know, a seven man or an eight man rotation, you know, that many guys that you're kind of shuffling in and out of the rotation, but in a sense, they're not all actively, you know, in the rotation and I'm making air quotes here at the same time. Right. So Adam Wainwright is not gonna, you know, even if you're kind of, using seven guys in various ways through there, you know, Adam Wainwright or Jack Flaherty, if he's healthy, you know, they're not going to, you know, rest for, you know, six, seven days between starts. Right. Um, It's just that, you know, uh, a guy, a guy in that kind of fourth or fifth spot might be in there for a while. He might be in a, whether they call it a piggyback or not, you know, he might be in kind of a, you know, this guy goes two times through the rotation and then this other guy goes one or, you know, maybe more, that kind of thing. Um, so to some extent, I feel like that might have just been kind of a, you know, what you label it sort of thing there. Uh, but the other thing I'm expecting, we're almost, you know, we, we do have, I think our next podcast actually is going to be our season preview. So we don't, we don't want to go too far maybe in, into all this, but you know, something else I think the Cardinals have done the last few years, and I think they especially did it last year. I think they know they're going to need to upgrade their pitching during the season and they're just okay with that. You know what I mean? Like they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll fix the car while we're driving, and um, you know, and I think it's worked fairly well for them. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, um, for one thing, uh, you know, a lot of teams just quit partway through the season. <laughs> you know, so there's there's more opportunities to be had there, and and it is a long season, so I don't think they're as anxious by not having kind of a a finished product of a roster on April 7th, as maybe we, the fans are sometimes. Yeah. I, I think that the Cardinals front office, uh, probably does tend to view it more as a work in progress throughout the season than we do. Um, but I also feel like that attitude really hurt them last year. Um, and well, it, it, I mean, it hurts them in that if they were more aggressive earlier, you know, they could certainly solve, fix the problem sooner, you know, and win a lot more games. But, you know, again, I mean, they're they're not out there trying to win 95 or 100 games. You know, that's they're, true. They're trying to win, you know, in the high 80s or 90 or so and kind of squeak into the, you know, squeak into the playoffs. And if they were to do, uh, you know, to, to really try to fix things up early on, the, the way to do that would be to spend more of Bill DeWitt's money, and that's off the table because he will not let them do that. And and, and I think that you are right, and, and that's why it's been really interesting to me. And, and I don't know how much of it, you know, the lockout just really upended everything. And so, you know would Jack Flaherty be able to be pitching right now? 
if he could have talked to the Cardinals during the lockout. We will never know. It's a counterfactual. Um, but one of the other things that is interesting to look at is the arms that the team has added since the lockout. And it really feels like the same type of moves they made during the season last year, yep. but now being made in March. And it feels like they have layered uh, some of the depth in terms of the strike throwing pitchers. Some are swingmen, some are relievers. Um, they've really doubled down on the, we need you to throw strikes, use the good defense, let them put the ball in play in the pitcher's paradise that is Bush Stadium. And, you know, you will have success with us. Yep. You know, they've, they've collected a handful of those type of pitchers. And some of them are non-prospects. Some of them are even veterans that you could maybe say are, are washed up. Yep. Um but, uh, but one of the dynamics there, and you and I have talked about this, is the Cardinals at every le level of the minor leagues last year were very young for their level. And so what these signings are doing, in particular the minor league contracts, is they're pushing down some of those young pitchers to allow them to maybe have another bite of the apple at a level they struggled at last year and give them de depth at AAA that they can draw on to reinforce the majors if they need to later in the month or in May or later in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I'm all for that. I mean, I think particularly when I look at, at Liberator and Zach Thompson and, and I can feel the fan base starting to be disappointed in those guys because uh, both because the, you know, the, the, the rotation certainly could use them if they were ready, you know, if they, if they were ready to pitch in the majors, um, you know, the, the starting rotation could absolutely use them, but also because I think we've been been told or, or at least we've chosen to believe that they are or they could be fast movers, you know, and those are guys that could get through the system quickly. And I think we've just, um, you know, we've lost sight of the fact that they, they have they're young. I mean, Libertor is definitely young. Thompson was a college pitcher, so he's a little older, but, you know, uh, Thompson's had almost no time in the minor leagues. You know, both of them lost the entire 2020 minor league season in a real tangible way. So, you know, if you go and you look at the amount of innings those guys have thrown in the minor leagues, it's it's very small still. And and for them to not be ready for the major leagues yet is in no way a sign that they're behind the pace you would expect them to be. And and so I, I hope the organization can kind of pump the brakes, you know, on them and, you know, let them have some time down there and then, uh, you know, hopefully join the club when they're ready. But yes, of course, that does mean going to find other other options to fill in this year. And so they have, you know, gone to the trash heap where they, where they always go, but have proven to go there with success. Yeah. And, you know, the profile of the pitchers that they are acquiring is not the sexy profile, you know, of the stat cast era. No. It is very much the profile of the type of pitchers that Dave Duncan and Tony La Russa enjoyed a lot of success with during their time with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting, you know, kind of the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I, it just, every signing, I, I look not many walks. They aren't all uh, ground ball pitchers, but with the ground ball pitchers, I just think of Dave Duncan, you know, keeping a tally of the extra base hits on ground balls that like a Brad Penny would have in spring training. Yeah. on a on a marker board in the clubhouse 
and helping win Brad Penny over to the, hey, throw sinkers and get ground balls mindset. And, uh, you know, in the era of launch angle, it, it's interesting to me that the Cardinals are, I don't know if they're on the vanguard of a, of a, of a larger movement, but to me, if you have a whole bunch of hitters trying to hit the ball in the air, why wouldn't you want a whole bunch of pitchers who it's really hard to hit the ball in the air against? Well, but that's also, I think if you have just a all time elite defense and you play in a, a ballpark that is not susceptible to home runs. You know, those are the other two things there. But yes. I mean, I, I see some similarities in a way with you look at what the Phillies have done, right? And, you know, the Phillies, I think since our last podcast, have signed both Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos, you know, to go with, you know, Reese Hoskins and Alex ba- Alec Baum. And I mean, I'm not going to name their all. They're terrible. They're defensively just, I mean, absolute garbage, right? And, and the Phillies are essentially doing, I mean, for those of us who play fantasy baseball, right, sometimes there's this idea that you punt a category, right? You might decide, like, I'm going to punt stolen bases this season. I'm not going to worry about acquiring any players that get stolen bases. And, you know, and sometimes it works because you're, you're able to focus on certain other strengths. And it's just, you kind of acknowledge that that's not going to be a strength. Um, the, the Phillies have quite clearly punted defense. Um, you know, um, in, in a way, you know, the Cardinals have punted starting pitching. Um, you know, they, they've punted the kind of, um, you know, high strikeout, uh, dominating starting pitching that you see elsewhere. I think largely they've done that because those guys are very expensive, which again, we know is, is, uh, Bill DeWitt kryptonite. Um, and frankly, they're very, they're extremely variable and susceptible to injury. So, you know, instead, they've they've leaned heavily into that defense. I think their hitting is going to be better. And they're just basically counting on that being enough. But they know their pitching is not good. And I, I think that's kind of a, a calculation they've made. It is interesting to me, too, that I, their relief pitchers are, are a lot more dominating. And I think you, you they, they, they see that bullpen as being, you know, potentially more of a strength as well. So, I mean, it's 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 a calculated risk they're taking, and you know who knows it could it could work out very well, or you and I could be you know recording a, a podcast on like May first and be like this is a disaster. Yeah, uh, it that very well could be. I I think everyone felt, uh, at least I saw very little complaints about the starting pitching depth. Uh, you know, heading into opening day last year, um, and. It really wasn't until the end of April, early May, if I remember correctly, when the red light began flashing. Like, hey, you know, John Gant's one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball. Uh, Oviedo is not going to get the job done. Like, um, you know, those types of concerns became much clearer at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know that's the other thing for us to keep in mind. You know, we, we all might be on the, the Yachty, Wayno, Pujols farewell tour, uh, you know, high for a period of time. And then we might wake up in May and be like, Oh, this rotation isn't very good. <laughs> right. Right. It, they, they have spoiled the farewell tour by refusing to sign Marcus Stroman, 
uh, for a little bit more money than Stephen Matz. And I reserve the right to come back on this podcast wearing a Burn the Boats t-shirt and complaining that the only thing that matters is winning and this front office doesn't care about winning. I just I, I hope listeners know that I do reserve the right to contradict myself like that. Oh, good. Yes, we, we have no intellectual consistency here, uh, except that Bill DeWitt uh, and ownership do not allow a high enough budget for major league salaries. Or, frankly, uh, some of the international signings, uh, they don't allow enough budget for that either. That's true. That is very true. So, well, um, so I think we've kind of we've hit on Pujols and we've hit on the the starting rotation. Um, the other thing that Ben and I were going to do today is uh, kind of go back to a, a, a feature that uh, we haven't done for a little while on here, and that is a, a box score of your. And uh, Ben, you actually tracked this one down. Do you want to you want to introduce it? Uh, yeah, we were uh, you and I were kicking around. Uh, in the wake of the Pujol signing, of course, uh, you know, resurrecting the box score of your, what would be a good game? And, you know, we were kind of like, well, what was the first game that Yachty, Wayno, and Pujols played in? But then we kind of were looking at it. It might be more fun to do what what was the most recent game uh, in which Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, and Adam Wainwright uh, played together for the St. Louis Cardinals. And so that is the game that we are going to do for today's box score of your, and it is a game between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Atlanta Braves. And it took place on September 9th, 2010. And if that seems a little bit earlier in time than you might have otherwise thought, remember Adam Wainwright sustained uh, a torn UCL uh, in spring training in 2011. And then, for whatever reason, uh, Matt Pagnazzi caught Wainwright uh, a couple times uh, at the end of the 2010 season instead of Yadier Molina. I think that was because the Cardinals were out of playoff contention at that point in time, perhaps. Yeah, and, and I didn't look back to see. I mean, uh, Yadi could have been nursing an injury or, you know... Um... Uh, I guess, or it just could have been the Matt Pagnazzi era. No, it was never the Matt Pagnazzi era, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, this, uh, uh, this is the game we're going to look at and it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty fun game. And Ben, I always start when I, we do these and I just kind of go through the, the lineups on both sides. Um, uh, and I know you do the same, anybody that played in this game that, well, I, I, I guess I said I did, I'll jump in first and say just a, a couple things about some of the guys who are playing in this, in this game. Uh, first off, uh, this, among the guys we already mentioned, uh, you know, Pujols uh, was having another phenomenal season. So uh, at the, the point of this game in late September, his, his triple slash line was 312, 404, 595 for a 999 OPS. So, um, you know, this was still very much uh, superhuman Albert Pujols. He would finish second in the MVP voting to Joey Votto that season. Um, uh, but this is also one of Adam Wainwright's best seasons. This was a, a year that Adam Wainwright would finish second in the Cy Young voting um, to, uh, to Roy Halladay. And uh, gosh, what was his ERA in this game? It was like, it was like a 2.38 ERA coming into this game. Um, so, you know, they were both phenomenal. And then on the Braves side, 
the name that jumped out to me was, of course, 2010 was Jason Hayward's phenomenal rookie season there as a 20-year-old. As a so, you know, this was the year that he burst onto the scene and was immediately a, a superstar. So those are some of the guys that jumped out at me, Ben. Was there anybody else in there that made you smile? Uh, well, I really enjoyed, and I suppose we'll get to it, uh, Freddie Freeman making a pinch-hitting appearance um, in this game for the Braves. Uh, uh, there's just there are so many characters, familiar characters in this game uh, that it is very hard to pick just one. Uh, but I really, uh, I was very happy to see Skip Schumacher was batting leadoff, playing second base. <laughs> Um, Colby Rasmus started in center. Uh, but perhaps my favorite aspects of this game, uh, and this is really indicative of how that season just really went downhill. Uh, Randy Wynn uh, started in right field, and Pedro Feliz started at third base for the Cardinals. Oh, and and <laughs> that I, I, really, I saw Pedro Feliz, and I just had flashbacks. <laughs> I, I remember just how disgusted everyone was uh, when excellent glove man, Pedro Feliz, the Cardinals acquired him in his uh, 547 OPS uh, <laughs> to play third base down the stretch. Um, and, you know, Brendan Ryan, this was the end. This was near the end of his tenure with the Cardinals. Uh, another excellent glove man. Uh, and, and he had a, a 567 OPS. <laughs> and, um, and so it was, I oftentimes will think about the 2010 St. Louis Cardinals, and you may be wondering, uh, why would he do that? I, there's something wrong with me. And I would always be like, they had Chris Carpenter and Adam Wainwright and Jaime Garcia and peak Albert Pujols and peak Matt Holiday. How were they not better? And then I saw this box score, and I was like, "Oh yeah, That'll that's work. why." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, it's and it's it's worth noting that uh, Adam Wainwright batted eighth in this game, so this was one probably one of those stretches of time where where uh, uh, Tony was doing the pitcher's bat eighth thing. Although then when you look at the fact that he had Pedro Feliz ahead of him and Brendan Ryan behind him, he maybe could have even batted Wainwright seventh in this game because I honestly think at this moment in time, Adam Wainwright was probably a better hitter than both of those guys. He was very close to them. Uh, I mean, we Wainwright had – so by the way, just statistically, uh, the OPS, Feliz 547 – Ryan 567, Wainwright 465. So it's really not that far off, even just statistically. No, it's not. The, if there was a lineup to have the pitcher bat seventh, this would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all righty. Well, do you want to dive in? Should we, should we kind of hit the, the innings with scoring in it? Is that a yeah. good, good way? So, all right. Well, why don't you lead things off? Well, the the Cardinals went down in order uh, in the top of the first uh, with three ground outs. And then uh, uh, Omar Infante started things off for the Braves with a single. Um, and then uh, there was actually uh, an error uh, on the throw to first base by uh, Brendan Ryan. And then an error on the throw... Uh, to second base. And so that allowed Infante to score on a Jason Hayward single, uh, 
So we, we um, had a, we had a little league play basically on defense to start the game, the game off, off on defense uh, with uh, two good defenders um, yeah. of all things, and then uh, Martin Prado grounded out. Brian McCann struck out swinging, and then Derek Lee hit a home run uh, to score Hayward. And so uh, at the end of this of the bottom of the first, which actually was even uh, got even more hairy uh, because after the home run, Wainwright gave up back-to-back singles before getting Melky Cabrera to ground out. But after the first inning, the Braves were ahead three to nothing. Yeah. So Braves took an early lead, but then in the top of the second, uh, the Cardinals came up. I don't think we mentioned that. Uh, J- was it Jair Jurgens? I don't even remember how that guy said his name. I remember him vaguely, but. I don't remember the yeah. pronunciation. I, I always said uh, Jer Jurgens, but right, um, right. I, I honestly don't. I think that might have be me, uh, uh, you know, pronoun- pronouncing it in my head based on how it looked on the page. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that guy, um, uh, he uh, pitching uh, for the uh, for the Braves. So Matt Holliday grounded out to start the inning. Then you had a Colby Rasmus single, followed by a Yadier Molina single uh, to move uh, Rasmus to second. And then uh, Pedro Feliz, uh, who we were just uh, (laughs) smearing earlier, uh, came up and uh, he singled um, to score Rasmus and move Molina to second. Uh, Molina was was then picked off second base while Adam Wainwright was uh, was batting. So I don't know what, what was going on there. That was one we maybe should have pulled up the video on. But uh, uh, Adam Wainwright would end up striking out. But then Brendan Ryan, who we also insulted his uh, hitting, uh, he also singled. And uh, uh, now wait a minute. This says, it says Molina picked off. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was, uh, you know what? He was picked off, but it was a, a throwing error to second. Molina went to third is what happened earlier. I apologize. Are you looking at this, Ben? That's very confusing. Yes. It's a, there's a, yes. This is a, just a Little League game all around, isn't it? It's also just a late September game from um, you know two teams that are, I don't believe either of these teams. Yeah, neither of these teams is going to the playoffs. So <laughs> um, maybe it had that feel to it. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, so so Brendan Ryan's single actually scored Molina and Felice, and then uh, that was followed up by a uh, of all things a Skip Schumacher home run, um, which also scored uh, Brendan Ryan. So uh, anyway, that that brought to the end of the uh, the end of the second uh, there. And what did gosh, so what did that make the score there? Is that uh, uh, I'm losing track of the score here. Five to three Cardinals lead. Five, three Cardinals lead. There we go. And so that was uh, the score that we had. Um, I, I found one of the fun things. We've talked about this in past box scores of your uh, from the Whitey Ball era, the number of intentional walks you would have with the bases loaded. So in the top of the third, Albert Pujols singled to lead things off. Then Matt Holliday hit a double, but Pujols did not score. He only went to third. Colby Rasmus came up, and the Braves intentionally walked him, and it worked. <laughs> um, but it but it didn't work in the way I guess you would probably think it would. Uh, there was no double play that resulted from it. There was just a strikeout by Molina, a pop-out to weak 
second base, first, first base area by Pedro Feliz, and then Adam Wainwright grounded out. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to point that out because we have talked about how that was uh, a tactic that is not often used anymore. Uh, but then in the top of the fourth, uh, Brendan Ryan got things started off with a single. Skip Schumacher singled as well. They had runners at the corners, and uh, Randy Wynn hit a fly ball double play. It was ruled a sacrifice fly to deep center field. Brendan Ryan scored from third base, but Skip Schumacher was thrown out at second. So I feel like this is another uh, Little League-type play. Uh, why is that significant? Skip Schumacher got thrown out trying to tag on a fly out to deep center field with Albert Pujols on deck. Albert Pujols then dug in, and what did he do? He hit a home run to left field. So a poor choice by Skip Schumacher, who is now the bench coach for the St. Louis Cardinals, cost the Cardinals a run in that inning, but they still led 7-3 to three after three and a half innings. Yep, and that knocked Jurgens out of the game, and the Braves brought in uh, Christian Martinez, who is not a player that I remember. Um, uh, Wainwright uh, would go uh, one, two, three in the fourth. Uh, the Cardinals came back to bat in the fifth inning, uh, with the score still seven to three, and uh, Colby Rasmus led off with a home run uh, to make the score eight to three before uh, Molino, uh, Molina, excuse me, Feliz and Wainwright would make three consecutive outs. And uh, the score uh, remained that until the sixth. And uh, Brendan Ryan let off the sixth with a uh, fly out. And then Skip Schumacher singled. Randy Wynn hit a double, because of course he did. And uh, that pushed Schumacher to third, and we have our second intentional walk with runners on second and third of the game by the Braves, this one of Albert Pujols. Uh, John Jay then dug in. He struck out looking. Colby Rasmus singled to right field. That scored Schumacher and win, pushed Pujols to second, but Yadier Molina grounded out to end the inning. The Cardinals led 10-3 to after the top of the sixth. Yeah, and the the score would stay that way for a while. I feel I should note in the seventh inning, uh, and of course Adam Wainwright is still going strong for the Cardinals. Uh, in the seventh, the Braves brought in uh, Kyle Farnsworth, who I'm sure many Cardinals fans remember for being a, a roided-out lunatic who pushed, pitched for the Cubs for many years. Um, and then in the eighth, uh, the, the Braves brought in uh, Craig Kimbrell, um, who went uh, one, two, three. Uh, Wainwright would uh, continue um, to pitch uh, through the eighth inning um, when he retired uh, Nate McClough, Omar Infante, and uh, pinch hitter Freddie Freeman, who struck out looking um, to end the eighth and also end the game for uh, for, for Wainwright. Um, and then, Ben, you want to take the ninth inning? Yeah, the uh, the Cardinals were ahead 10-3 to three, heading into the ninth. Uh, John Jay lined out to lead things off. Uh, then Colby Rasmus hit a home run to right field, and he was followed by a flyout by Yadier Molina and a ground out by Pedro Feliz. And then Fernando Salas came in. Uh, 
batting eighth for Adam Wainwright. He allowed a single and then gave up a walk, which brought in uh, former Cardinal Troy Gloss to pinch hit. Uh, and he popped out uh, to Yadier Molina, the catcher. Uh, then uh, a ground out after a wild pitch by Eric Hinsk. Uh, scored a run, and then Salas got a strikeout looking to end the game, and the Cardinals won 11-4. Yes, and Chicago Cubs manager David Ross was stranded at third base to uh, to end the game right there. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, pretty fun game. We had, uh, you know, eight strong innings from uh, Adam Wainwright, real kind of uh, Adam Wainwright at the height of his powers, uh, type game gave up those three runs early and then just absolutely locked it down from there. Uh, uh, returning Cardinal Albert Pujols homered. Of course, you may have noticed that uh, Colby Rasmus had uh, two home runs in the game and uh, Skip Schumacher even homered. So I don't know a lot of fun stuff there, Ben. Yeah. And, and so many characters popping up, it feels almost like a Marvel movie with all the Easter eggs. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the Freddie Freeman pinch hitting really is a that's a pretty good Easter egg right there. So and and Craig Kimbrell coming in for just a random middle inning relief appearance, <laughs> and it's yeah. just it's kind of a fun transition kind of game for for those players who became mainstays for the Braves and very successful major leaguers. Well, yeah, and then you have a guy like Troy Gloss. I mean, I didn't even remember Troy Gloss playing for the Braves, to be honest. Um, and this had to be, you know, the absolute end of the road for him, I would think. Uh, I believe so. So, all right. Well, um, Ben, I think we've kind of come to the end of our uh, regularly scheduled material here today. But um, as as per tradition... Um, what are you going to be uh, watching for over this kind of final week or so of spring training? Uh, you know, the my number one rule for spring training has always been, you know, just, just watch for injuries. Um, the other thing that I like to do for young hitters is look at uh, their approach in spring training with two strikes and, and what they're able to do with it. Uh, also, in this day and age, kind of away pitches and see, you know, if if you are even or behind in the count, but maybe not with two strikes, what are you doing if you're getting tough pitches away? Are you driving them to the opposite field? I think Paul DeYoung so far this spring training has done a pretty good job of that. And the reason that I watch for that is players are more likely to be consciously working on stuff like that in spring. And so uh, I, I think it's interesting to see what they're working on at this time and whether or not it translates uh, to the regular season plate appearances that will follow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is always a tough time for what are you looking for? Because I know you and I both don't put really much stock at all and you know spring training numbers or anything like that i know it's really tempting to do and i've certainly seen folks on twitter and heard people talk about it and, and i'm guilty of it too you know if i see you know a guy you know hit a couple hard line drives uh in spring i'm like oh man that guy's really locked in and if i see somebody else you know strike out you know three times in a row i'm like oh man that guy's in trouble uh instinct wise but I know not to not to trust those things. So, 
One thing I always watch for, particularly at the end of spring training, is I think you can get a preview of what the team thinks the roster and the lineups and the batting orders and those kind of things are going to be. So, um, and again, it's just a first draft. It's where they're going to start from. It doesn't mean that's where things are going to stay. Um, and this year, of course, is strange because the, the whole spring training has been so truncated. So it's been very odd. And actually, you know, we've seen the, the pretty much what we expect to be the regular lineup starting almost every game, you know, and I think just because they, they had so little time. But by this point of spring training, that's usually what you'd see anyway, is, you know, you'd usually see those starters, you know, starting and often, you know, playing, you know, in, you know into the fifth, sixth inning or so before they went to those younger guys. But that's something that I'll kind of continue to look at. I do think it's it's notable that, Dylan Carlson has been in the leadoff spot um, several times. I, I have a feeling that's something that they're they're thinking about, and and I think uh, it seems like a good. It certainly seems like an upgrade over Tommy Edmond there to me. So, um, you know, just some some little things like that. Um, you know, who's getting the playing time? Um, you know, those kind of things. That's what I'm going to be looking for. So, um, Ben, we didn't talk about off day recommendations. I don't really have a good one. Do you? Do you have one? Um. The website Out Sports, uh, which is uh, a a website that focuses on LGBTQ uh, plus issues uh, in the sporting world, uh, had a profile of Bob Gibson's transgender son. Uh, that was an interesting read, and uh, I I think it's something that's that's worth. Uh, reading if you know if you're a cardinals fan and if if you're interested in in gaining a broader perspective uh on uh what transgender folks uh go through as uh they live their lives and come to the realization of of who they are and how they were born oh that's fascinating i haven't read that I'm, i will i will definitely check that out so, um, and I, uh, I'm just going to take a mulligan on an off-day recommendation because I don't have anything lined up here. But uh, I will be sure to have something for uh, the next time we record, which will be our, uh, our season preview spectacular. Um, and that will, you know, Ben, that will be the official launch of uh, season two of uh, the Cardinals Off-Day podcast. Yes, it will. Uh, we are very excited about it and also excited that the way that they reorganized the schedule uh, really didn't eat up much in the way of off days. No, no. We we invested, you know, a lot of uh, money and time, of course, in this off day brand. And it was looking there for a while like <laughs> they might take away our off days. Um, but uh, thankfully, our uh, our investment is safe. And so hopefully if folks are listening to this. They enjoy listening to the show and uh, it is our intention this season, just like last season, to be uh, dropping into your feed uh, anytime there's an off day there. So you've got some Cardinals content to listen to. There is technically one other spring day here. They're not going to play. We're not planning a show for that day. So um, that that season preview should be dropping um, either the day before or maybe two days before the start of the season. And then we'll be regular on the off days after that. Uh, ben, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, I very exciting uh, last 24 hours, I think. And, um, you know, regardless, and I think cynically, something we should point out, I think Bill DeWitt and the ownership group's going to more than make their money back on the Pujol signing. 
but for us fans, I think, you know, as we look at a team that could be very competitive, which is their stated goal, uh, when it comes to the postseason, regardless, we're going to have some special memories uh, from September, even if the team doesn't make the postseason. And I know the team wants to play meaningful games in September, even if they're out of the postseason uh, hunt. They're at the end. There are definitely going to be some meaningful moments. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. And hopefully uh, those moments uh, are also part of a pennant race. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you're absolutely right. And as much as I, you know, resent the actions of, uh, of the owners during the lockout and would like to say, I'm not giving them my money. I think there's a very good chance that uh, Bill DeWitt's going to get some of my money in the form of a uh, Albert Pujols replica jersey. Uh, so... <laughs> I'll well, now, up. this morning I looked at the trending sales on the MLB at Bat app, which I finally downloaded. Uh, and the top three were Yadier Molina replicas. And I am very interested to see uh, in the coming like week how many, uh, once they get the Pujols stuff up, yeah. uh, how many of those are uh, Pujols replicas. Yeah, well, I got to be honest, my like Pujol jerseys, I've had to retire. You know, it's just been too many, too many years and too much wear and tear. So I, I, I don't have any uh, Pujols gear I can wear at the time. So I feel like I need to refresh that. Yeah, I kind of do too. Uh, my wife, and I'm, I'm kind of weird, but my wife has, has told me that I cannot get any more Cardinals shirts. Well, you and I are um, both in this similar, but with me, it's hats. I, my, my, my wife has instituted like a like a college bar, you know, after midnight. It's like a one in, one, one out kind one, of rule. Yep, yep. I have hat. that rule on shirts. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, our wives should really host their own podcast on like dealing with uh, husbands who just, you know, buy too much baseball shit. I think that they could probably build a listenership there, I think. Yes, uh, they they certainly could. Um, and she's, she's even like, you have a box full of Cardinal t-shirts here in the corner. And I'm like, well, I want to turn those into a quilt. Um, (laughs) and, and then she like rolls her eyes at me and, and leaves the box alone. But in her defense, I have, I have way too many, uh, Cardinals t-shirts. Um, and, uh, I have been eyeballing some Yadier Molina attire, uh, but I may have to expand my uh, my view and my gaze to some of the Pujols stuff because I, I no longer have my majestic uh, Pujols uh, shirzies because I, like you, they just, they're, they became too worn and uh, they had to go away. Well, and if, if it means you have to get rid of one of your beloved Pedro Feliz shirzies, um, I think that'll probably be worth the trade-off, so... Uh, very true. Uh, but my, my Alan Craig, 2011 world series jersey, which was purchased at Bush stadium at game one is going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. So, alrighty. Well, we will, uh, we'll be back with everyone for that season preview. Um, Ben and I can maybe recap some of the merch purchases we've made (laughs) between now and then. Uh, So anyway, we will look forward to joining you guys uh, next time for another Cardinals off day. Thanks.